Our text is in Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4, and I'll read verses uh, 2 through 6. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that its wisdom would teach us wisdom, and that we would do more than hear it, that we would allow it to affect our thinking and affect our actions. We give you thanks for this, your word, for your spirit and the power of your son at work in building up his kingdom. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So these are only a few verses, but they are, I think, pretty powerful. In this very first verse, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, I want to comment on three things. Uh, I believe there are three things that are implied through this, or you can easily infer from this. Uh, Paul tells us to continue earnestly in prayer. So when you see an adjective, especially when you see Paul use an adjective, he throws them in there for a purpose. And so what is earnestness? Earnestness is seriousness. And so prayer is important. Continue earnestly in prayer. And for me, a mental image comes to mind, and that is of a soldier reporting for duty. You are reporting for duty, which means that you should be ready you should want to do this. You have responsibilities that are laid upon your shoulders. And these duties, this earnestness in prayer, keeps us as Christians, as Christian soldiers, anchored in who we are and why we're here, what we're supposed to be doing. So be earnest. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. And so we are to be vigilant in prayer. And what does that mean? What does vigilance mean? Again, you have it come to mind of being on guard, watching. Uh, people count on you. They rely upon you. So you're not to be distracted. You're to do your duty. These are Christian basics. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. Now, what that means, too, is that you will have temptations to throw it off. Paul knows this. Paul lived it. He knows how difficult it is to be diligent and vigilant in prayer. That's why he's encouraging us. It's not easy. Be diligent in it. Now, too, if you think of prayer as that time when you close your eyes at a particular time each day or whatever, then you really haven't fully thought what Paul means by prayer. To be in prayer, to pray without ceasing, is to always be walking with God, always be aware of God's presence, always be in communication with Him, having a rapport with Him. And so the degree to which we don't do that, to which we forget ourselves, to which we go hours without even thinking of God, that's really the degree to which we're unaware of our earthly existence. We're unaware of the real purpose for our being here. 
Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So if there's one thing that can get you down, it's focusing on negative things. I was just told this morning that that message of Amos was kind of difficult to be hopeful about. It was a pretty depressing message about doom and gloom for all these nations. And yet, we know that God always gives hope, always gives rays of light, and it's there even. And so we are to give thanksgiving. So in other words, we go to God in prayer, and Paul is telling us, he's inferring that we go to God in prayer wanting things. God, I want this. I want that. Now, this isn't selfish stuff I'm talking about. This is good stuff. This is good stuff we want. We want to end abortion. Yet it's so easy to allow our desire for a good thing and our inability to get it in our own strength to leave us disappointed. So when we go to God in prayer, what is, what is it saying, Philippians, that we're doing it? We're casting it away from us. So it no longer fills our mind with anxiety. It's because of that that we're driven to prayer, and then we cast it off to God, and He relieves us of the anxiety of it, of the burden of it. It's His now. But yet it will grow in us again by design. And then you cast it off again. So see, prayer is kind of like God nurturing in you to think His thoughts after Him, to be like Him. And then we cast it into His care. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it, with thanksgiving, thankful for what we have, not what we don't have. Meanwhile, meanwhile, praying also for us. Again, there's something implied here. Praying also for us, meaning that they were already praying for themselves, for others, for whatever God had put on their heart. We're all different. God's made each of us unique. There are things on your heart that I'm unaware of, that God wants you to unburden of yourself to him. I can't do that for you. You must do it. And if you aren't doing it, it's not getting done. You have to be, as God's soldier here on earth, obedient to him and casting these back to him, into his lap, such that you can be free from them. We can't do it for you. No one else can. So you need to be doing that. What has God put on your heart? And if you don't know, then you really haven't been very diligent. You should really be able to come up with one, two, three. If people came up to you and said, how can I pray for you? You should be able to say, boom, boom, boom. These are what are on my heart. If you really want to pray for me, pray for the things that are dearest to my heart. That's what would make me happy. What did Paul want? He said, meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So see, he's telling us more here. He's telling us, pray for me, pray for my duties, my responsibilities, that I would fulfill them, and, oh, by the way, I'm in chains. There are two things that I think pastors need all the time. They need courage, and they need encouragement. They need courage in order to not be politically correct when they're standing up here. We have a lot of cowards filling pulpit of America right now. It's a sad, sad time in America. You've got a bunch of cowards in the pulpit telling people what they want to hear. You're all wonderful. Really, you are. Don't worry about your sins. You know, God is so loving. He's so indulgent. 
Why do you fret over those things? Cast them into God's lap. That's not what I'm going to tell you. It's not what we're going to tell you. That's not wise. That's not biblical. God can free you from the burden of the guilt of sin, but it's certainly not by allowing you to indulge in it anymore. It's by telling you how wrong it is and that it's good that it eats away at your soul. Those are good things. So now also, though, they need encouragement, especially when they're in chains, especially when they're under attack. They need to be encouraged. They're people. Paul was a person. He could easily be discouraged. Here he was in chains, and he sought encouragement from those to whom he was writing, to those whom he was seeking to encourage. We all need that. And then, in that I may make manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Now, who's outside? Who's he talking about? Who are the people that are outside? They're the people that don't know the Lord. What are they outside of? They're outside of everything that matters. They could be driving around in Porsches. They're outside. If they don't know the Lord, they're outside. They're outside his loving care, outside of the, the uh, benefits of a church, a good, strong brethren that they can count on, that they can rely upon to encourage them, to bring rebuke into their life if rebuke is necessary. So those are the people that are outside. Redeeming the time. We live in a profligate time. We live in a time of great sin. And I don't think that most of us consider ourselves as indulging in the profligacy of sin like others. Yet, I rebuke myself and I rebuke you if you're guilty of this. And that is, we live in a sensuous, self-indulgent time. Are we redeeming the time? How do you spend your time? It is so valuable. And we have so much of it. I am... I am so appalled when I hear people saying, oh, I didn't have time to do this, that, or the other thing. When I know how they live, I know they have all the time in the world. They just don't choose to make what it is that they promised me a priority in their life. And that's a lie that they didn't have time. What they really should tell me is, well, I don't really value you. I didn't want to do that. It doesn't make me happy. It doesn't make me feel good. So I didn't do it. Na 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 na. That's what they would tell me if they were telling me the truth. But they don't tell me the truth. Oh, I didn't have time. And I'm like that. I have limited time. I have to prioritize. And I can be just as lazy as anybody. And yet we live in a time when we have so much free time, so much leisure time that we spend on our lusts that we don't use wisely, we don't use to build up God's kingdom. You have to ask yourself, how is God going to hold me accountable for this time? How am I supposed to be redeeming time? When I was a kid, we would collect SH dream stamps, and it always eluded me as to how we were supposed to ever get value out of these stamps, the redemption value, because that was the last thing that my parents wanted me thinking about. I was supposed to just be collecting these stamps and sticking it in this little book, but yet I'd get a whole book full, and I didn't know what to do with it. And I know later, they just abolished the program, and I had little books full of stamps that I did nothing with. I would never redeem them. So see, how do you redeem your time? Do you do it daily, weekly, monthly, annually? I know Gary's going to hold us accountable. On January 1st, 
We've got a sermon coming up about that. So see, we all have to take this seriously. It's in the Word for a reason. We have to hold ourselves accountable for our time. Does what we spend time on reflect God's priorities, what He wants us doing? Or are you telling yourself and other people, no, I'm not going to do what you or God wants me to do. I'm going to do this instead because it makes me happy. It gives me pleasure. Because that does not last. That ephemeral pleasure is going to fade away. And you will not feel validation from the Lord when you're standing before Him. And you're having to answer for how you spent your time. So now, verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Again, this is very interesting. So see, he's talking about walking wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time, right? So not only are we redeeming the time, we are focused on people outside. So obviously, the redemption of our time has something to do with these people that are outside. So what are we doing to reach them? And God has placed people, unique you, in your life that are outside of God's grace. Now, you might think that it is a very difficult task to break into their hearts, and it is for you. But it is like that for God. But are you faithful? And what is it that you need to be faithful in? Do you have to rack your brain for things, ways to break into this, this person's heart? No, you don't. God gives us the answer right here. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. What is it that he's answering? Again, there's an inference here. This whole few verses is filled with inferences that you have to ask yourself, what does Paul mean? Why is he saying this? What's he implying? We consider those outside our enemies. They often consider us their enemies. It's really difficult to minister in the lives of enemies because they don't trust you, they don't like you, they don't want to be around you, they don't want to accept your Facebook friend request. So how do you get to these people? Well, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So see, they will come to you with questions. God guarantees it. If you're open, if you're making yourself open to this, and if you're seeking opportunities, if you're planting these opportunities for them to ask you questions, and if you're not so obnoxious that they want to talk to you, they want to learn these answers, they, they kind of have to admit that even though you're, you're an enemy and you oppose the things that they like, and you like the things that they oppose, you know, personally, he's not such a bad guy. That's what you want non-Christians saying about you. Well, I hate his politics. You know, I hate that he always talks about God, the Bible and God. But, you know, as a person, he does seem to honor his word. He does seem to be ready to talk to me if I have troubles, that type of thing. You want to develop a relationship with people where they will come to you with their questions. And where do you go for the answers? Of course, we know. So you want to be prepared with the answers that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Praying, walking, talking, so much of what Paul talks about is always about that. And as you come to the end of a book like we are, that is what he's going to emphasize. Pray about it, walk the talk, be prepared. So now, such that I've described should describe our daily lives. 
we should really come into contact with people that we are prepared to give answers to, that desperately need to know. We can't force it out into them, but we must be winsome enough to where they will ask it of us, make ourselves available. So as we come to the table, we want to follow in Christ's footsteps. He was always out there, always asking questions, always there to support people, even those people that ended up killing him. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that uh, you and your Holy Spirit, uh, the power and wisdom of this word, uh, can remove all of our doubts and fears, can guide us into taking wise actions, even though we ourselves have no idea what we're doing. We are wholly dependent on you. So we pray, Lord, please uh, take away from us the anxiety of thinking that we need to do it. Uh, allow us to be filled with the power and presence of your Spirit to relinquish control uh, such that we can do your bidding, that we can do that instead of our own uh, lustful actions and thoughts. We ask you now, Lord, be with those that we love that are on the outside. Please uh, allow our words and our actions to lead them to asking us the right questions. We give you thanks for this and everything in Christ's name. Amen.